and welcome to the Bikers Church Midrand Podcast. It's great to have you join us for this week's episode. We hope that you find this valuable for your daily life. Great stuff. So as Van has said, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Ramon and it's just so good to have you visit with us. Now, if you were here with us last week, we, we spoke about honor and we just spoke about, about honoring God and, and, and even honoring God in the tough times. We've entered into this, into, into this new year and as most of us could agree, um, just through conversations that we've had over the last year, year and a bit, um, like 2019 was, was really tough for a lot of us. Uh, there's a lot of us sitting here today where, where 2019, um, yeah, that's, that's how bad it was. Um, <laughs> where 2019, when you look back at 2019, you kind of feel like, like the year took a bite out of you and, and it's still hurting. Uh, and maybe for you, it wasn't just 2019. Maybe it was a couple of years before that. But I know specifically this past year when it came to business and when it came to work. And, and we know what happens when there's pressure in business and work. It, it, it flows over to the family. Isn't that true? Because any pressures, especially when it's financial pressures, man, the family really ends up feeling it at the end of the day. And if... You may be in a place where you're thinking to yourself, well, if, if, if last year was so tough, Ramon, you're talking about honor. Like if, if your, last year was so tough, how do I even trust God with this year to come? Never mind honoring him in my decision-making process. How do I just trust? Because if I don't trust him, how can I honor him? And then as we're thinking these thoughts, we start feeling bad because now we feel like, oh, now I'm questioning God. <laughs> You know, and, and, and we start feeling bad along those lines. But here's something that I believe with all my heart is that God doesn't fall off his throne at our questions. God doesn't fall off. His, God isn't king all of a sudden just because we have questions. In fact, I believe that God invites questions. J- just look at the prophets in the Old Testament. Look, look at the psalmists. Look at how many questions they asked. And I believe that God invites the questions because I believe that, that, that God knows that there is an incredible opportunity to really find God in our questions when we ask questions. It was a... Um, Football coach by the name of Lou Holtz. I have absolutely no idea who he is, but he said something pretty good. He said, I never learn anything when I'm talking. I learn when I ask questions. And as I said, through, through the questions of the prophets and through the, the questions of the psalmist, they really got to gain an understanding of God and a a, a knowledge of God, a a growth and a depth in relationship of God in the midst of their questions. You see, folks, questions aren't the problem. Our lenses are the problem. 
Our questions aren't the problem. It's our lenses, the lenses that we view life through. The, the, and more importantly, the lenses that we view God through. That's quite often where our problem lies. Why do I say that? Because you see, somewhere along the line, we get hurt by someone. Someone was unfaithful toward us. And because of the unfaithfulness of mankind, we kind of take that, copy and paste it onto God and go, man, if this is what faithfulness looks like, then this must be how God is just as faithful in inverted commas. My wife and I, when we started dating, um, she had come out of a, a relationship a couple of years earlier where um, it, was a, it was a really hurtful relationship where, where the, the guy that she was with was, was unfaithful. While they were dating, he was busy with, the, with, with some other girls on the side and, and uh, she found out about it and thank God the relationship ended. It gave me a shot. Um, sorry to hear about him, but thank God. I thank God for that deed every day. It makes me look like a king. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but what happened was, in, in, the, in the early stages of our relationship, what happened was, I was paying for that guy's sins, man. You know what I'm talking about? My wife viewed relationship through the lens of hurt, through the lens of unfaithfulness through the lens of betrayal. So when she looked at me, no matter what I did, all she saw was unfaithfulness. And a day came where I just said to her, I said, babe, <laughs> you gotta stop punishing me for what some other oak did to you. But isn't it the truth that so often we look at God in that way? Where when we look at God, we don't, we don't look at him through the lens of the truth of his word, through the truth and the reality of who he is and what he's done in our lives. No, we, we pick up on little things where he hasn't done stuff in the time frame that we thought he should. And so as a result, we, we feel like God's being unfaithful. Meanwhile, God's just taking us through his process. We end up thinking that I don't believe that God can be faithful with my future. And you may have head into this year thinking exactly that. Just thinking to yourself, man, as I go into this year, I don't know that God can be faithful with my future. You know, I, 2019 didn't go so great. So, so how, can I, how can I trust God? to be faithful with my future. And for you and me, folks, this is an exceptionally dangerous space to camp out. I don't think it's evil for us to ask the question. I just think that once we ask the question, asking questions to the right people and in the right places is so important. The last place you should be asking that question to is like Google. You know, why did 2019 bite so bad? I didn't Google it, so I actually don't know what the result is, but I can't think that it was any good. I believe that when we bring these questions to God, 
when we bring these questions to trusted brothers, trusted um, uh, family in God, folks who have a good track record, when we bring these things to, to, to the people in our lives that, that honor God and, and, and that trust God and rely on God, and we, we, we bring these questions to them and even just on our face before God and just go, Lord, why? What, what, how do I shift from where I am to, to where you want me to be? I believe that, that it's in those questions that we really get to discover the character and the faithfulness of God. You see, when we don't do that, the natural progression is that we end up taking control. Isn't that the truth? Because I don't trust God, so I'm definitely not going to give Him control. I take control. I take the handlebars, steering wheel, straps of the horse, whatever you are accustomed to. But we take control of life. And the moment that we take control, what happens we end up manufacturing human results. And we step out of a space where God can bring his results. There was this group of brothers who found themselves in this space, who, who lived this way, and, and the consequences were absolutely dire. And their story can be found in, in Genesis 34. And... The background of this is we had Abraham, we had Isaac, and then we had Jacob. So Abraham was the father of faith. And he had a son called Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. We know them as Jacob and Esau. And they were twins, but Jacob popped out first, so he was the oldest. Um... But Jacob went on to have, uh, he went on to have 12, 12 sons that didn't have TV, 12 sons. But he also had a daughter, and his daughter's name was Dena. And on one occasion, Dena was, had gone out socializing with some friends, and, and uh, while she was spending time with these friends, the, the local prince of the area guy by the name of Shechem, saw dinner, caught a fancy to dinner, forced himself on dinner, and raped dinner. Very traumatic experience for the young lady. But something weird happened in the moment. Shechem fell in love with dinner once he'd raped her. Now to any of us sane people sitting in the building, we're like, that's just sick. That's just completely messed up. But this is what happened. He, he falls in love with dinner and he, he goes to his dad and he, his dad's name was Hamer. And he says to Hamer, Dad, I've fallen in love with this girl and I want her. Help me get her. So Hamer and Shechem go to Jacob to go and arrange a marriage. But before they get there, Jacob gets to hear about what happened to his daughter. And as any good father, his heart was broken. His heart was, was, was angered at, at, at what had happened to his daughter and, and the way that Shechem had, had, had defiled his daughter and dishonored his family. 
And uh, Jacob's 12 sons, they were, they were out tending to his livestock. They were out in the field, hadn't been home for days. Um, but word gets to them what had happened. So they make it back home. And uh, Shechem and, and, and his father, Hamer, they, they, they're sitting with Jacob and they're starting to have this conversation. And the sons pull into the meeting and they just like invite themselves in. They just sit in on the meeting. And as they're sitting in on the meeting, um, Hamer starts to speak to Jacob and saying, look, my, my son loves your daughter. <laughs> kind of weird. Um, you, my son loves your daughter and he wants, he wants to marry her. He wants to take her as his wife. So why don't we give you our daughters for your sons? And why don't, why don't you give us your daughters for our sons? And we can become one people, come and move to where we are. There's plenty of land for your livestock. Uh, we can really build a great community together. But you can imagine, here's a dad sitting with a broken heart because of what's happened. And now he's being invited into this mess. So in the moment, we are told that, um, that Shechem speaks up for himself. And he's like, I love your daughter. And then he says this. He says, please be kind to me. Please be kind to me and give me your daughter. Her brothers weren't that forgiving. They, they speak to, to Shechem and they say, they essentially say to him, we can't give our sister to someone like you because you're uncircumcised. Like that's the criteria right now. You're uncircumcised. You can't have our, have our sister. When you read the text, it's kind of like they're saying, you are dirty, you can't be in our family. That's essentially the vibe you get. They said, so there is a solution, however. And we can read this in Genesis 34 verse 15. It says this, but there is a solution. If every woman, sorry, if every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we'll take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and we'll be on our way. So they're saying, if you want into this family, if you want our sister, then you, and not just you, but your entire community needs to be circumcised. Shechem had never heard of meatloaf. And he pretty much responds with, I will do anything for love. I'll even do that. So him and his dad, they go home and they, they somehow convince, convince their community and all the men in their community that, guys, we're having a circumcision party. Like everyone's getting circumcised. We're arranging a little guillotine. It's on. Actually, it's off, but it's happening. And there they go. And it says all the men in the community were circumcised. And here's what happens next. This is why I love the Bible. It's full of these really incredible stories. It says this in verse 25. It says, but three days later, when their wounds were still 
saw. I'm probably about to give too much information, but I was circumcised as a little dude. I don't remember much from when I was a little guy. I remember that very clearly. So when it says that their wounds were still sore, I feel like it's an understatement. I feel like there should have been more explicits in that script. That's just me. So when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simon and Levi, who were dinner's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every man, every male there, including Hamer and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords, then took dinner from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. And this is where the mafia began. Because that's really the picture that you get. What a brutal story. (laughs) What a vicious story. The truth is a lot of us are sitting here and kind of maybe superimposing it into certain circumstances in our own lives going, man, those guys had it going on. Like if I could redo X, Y, or Z, like I like that script. I like the way that ended. But you see, what actually happened in this moment is that what Simeon and and Levi actually communicated is that we do not trust God to be faithful with our futures. Look at what happened to our sister. We do not trust God that he can be faithful with our future. And what did they do? They took life into their own hands. They took control. They took control away from God and took it on themselves. And as a result, manufactured human results. Now as we play out the lives of of Simeon and Levi, we we see that, that on their father's deathbed, Jacob actually curses Simeon and he he curses Levi not for anything else but purely because of what they did on that day and as he curses them it says that that generations later so it was about 400 years later when Israel entered into the promise that God had for them it was the 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 tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi that lost their inheritance that, that lost the lot of land that was, that was allotted to them. They lost it. They lost their promise. All because they didn't trust God that he would be faithful with their future. Now on the other hand, they, they had a brother, a famous brother, and if you're not a, much of a church go or a Jesus follower or anything like that, you'll even know about this guy because he was Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know who I'm talking about now, right? He, he was the, the beloved son of Jacob who had the really pretty robe. And the incredible thing about the life of Jacob was that even when there appeared to be no evidence of God being faithful, Joseph trusted God. 
Joseph trusted God even when there was a lack of evidence of God's faithfulness in the natural eye. And if we look at, 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 at Jacob's life, you can see the, the stuff that he went through from Genesis 37 through 41. But, but, but Joseph is ultimately, he's, he's hated by his brother and he gave them plenty of reason. But he's hated by their brother. He, he ends up being betrayed by them. He gets sold into slavery by them. And then once he's in slavery, all sorts of stuff happens where he gets falsely accused and ultimately imprisoned for something that he didn't even do. Most of us would be in a space where we're like, man, where's God in all of this? But it says that, that Joseph trusted God and Joseph honored God even in those moments. And because he trusted God with his future, we know that, that, that Joseph went from prison to the palace all in one job interview. Done. He went from being a prisoner to being second in charge in all of Egypt. And we'll hold out on all the politician jokes right there. But that's what happened to Joseph. You see, Joseph trusted the faithfulness of God. He trust, he put his life in the hands of God and trusted his faithfulness. He trusted that God would be faithful with his future. So he trusted God. He handed his future, his life, the control over his life over to God. And what do we see in the life of Joseph? Man, we see godly results. Not, not manufactured human results. No, we see godly results. Go read the life of Joseph. It's probably one of the most rich lives that you could ever read of in all of history. I'm not even talking about scripture. History. Go and read up on the life of Joseph. Absolutely incredible what God did in that life and did through his life. All because... He didn't take matters into his own hands. No. He gave control over to God. He trusted God. And he experienced godly results. Simeon and Levi, on the other hand, they didn't believe that God could be faithful with their future. They took matters into their own hands. They took control. And as a result, they manufactured their own results which ended up leaving them without promise, without inheritance. I wonder this morning, where, where are you at in all of this? Where are you at in all of this? Does your life resemble a, a bit of the life of, of uh, a story of, of Simeon and Levi? Where, where somewhere along the line something happened and as a result you just felt like, man, I can't trust God to be faithful with my future. I, I, just, I just don't know that I can. And as a result, you, you decided to just to take matters into your own hands, to take control of every situation in your life because ultimately if you want to get it done right, do it yourself. And as you've taken control, 
if you're honest, the results have been very much your doing. You may even be in a place where you've, you've actually been a little proud about it and, you know, call yourself self-made. Here's the challenge with being self-made. A person who is self-made is a person who needs to be self-sustained. It's an exceptionally tiring place to live, folks. It's an exceptionally tiring place to live. Because then everything depends on you. Or are you in a space where you started to realize that, man, when I take control of things, things don't work out the way that I, that, that I really believe they should. And maybe, maybe for yourself, you've, you've started to go, I, I need to put my trust in God. I need to start trusting Him with my future, trusting that He is faithful with my future. And you've started to let go of the control and hand it over to God. And as a result, you've, you've really started to experience breakthrough in certain areas, really started to see some godly results coming through. Maybe you're still waiting on those results, but you trust the faithfulness of God. I believe that when we start to really put our life in the hands of a faithful God, that we can say what was said over, over, over Joseph, we can say the same over our lives, where we can just say, Lord, you are with me. You are with me. And you will show me your loving faithfulness. As the worship team comes up, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, um, we had some circumstances change in our lives and, and as a result, um, some added financial pressures come along with that. A lot of us know what I'm talking about right now where you've experienced it in your own life. Circumstance change, situations change around you. We even say stuff like, man, life happened. Well, life happened. And uh, as a result, um, things that were out of our control put financial strain on us. So both her and I, we started looking around for some extra work. And as we were doing that, um, an opportunity came my way. A bit of a business opportunity came my way. And I really pursued it hard because I knew how important it was for our family. Um, and I pursued it for months and months and months and months. And right on point 99, it fell flat. It didn't pull through. And I can remember how gutted I was. I can remember how absolutely shattered I was because I really believed, man, if this can just come through, <laughs> things are going to look very different. Like, like we can actually make it in a month. And here I am in a place where this whole thing just falls apart. And I can remember really almost like drowning in my own self-pity. You know, woe is me, the world's against me, even Switzerland, like, life's just a mess. And, uh, and I can remember this moment came where, where God addressed this thing in my heart. And he just asked me a simple question. Is your faith in the opportunity or is your faith in me? Is your trust 
in the fact that this business thing could come through? Or is your trust in me, your source of hope, and your source of everything in life? Where's your trust? Where's your faith? And in that moment, I kind of, I kind of had my own little Joseph moment and, and, and really had to just go, man, Lord, you're so right. I've been putting all of my faith, all of my trust in this thing happening, in this thing coming through. If this thing can come through, it changes our circumstances. And it's amazing. In that moment, I just, I just said, Lord, I give over control. Like I give this thing to you. Whether it happens or it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter because you're the source of my life. You, you are the source of every good thing in my life. So I can trust you in this moment. And I handed that thing over to God. I said, Lord, wherever it comes from, I know it's going to come from you. That's where it's going to come from. So I give it to you. Take control. My wife and I chatted through it. We really settled it in our hearts. And we carried on trusting God. I didn't even pursue the thing anymore. Left it. Two weeks later, I bump into the guy who originally spoke to me about it. And as I bump into him, we get chatting. And in one conversation, this thing happens. And we have breakthrough and, and, and the, 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 the deal carries through. And I think to myself, was it that simple? We just had to shift. We just have to shift my trust, my faith from something to someone. From an opportunity to the source of everything good in our lives. And I don't know where you are today, folks. But for me, this isn't some nice theory on paper. This is something that I've experienced in my own life. This is something that I've seen happen with my own eyes, where myself and my wife could celebrate over the breakthrough that God brought, not because some deal went through, but because we could trust God to be faithful with our future. Where are you at this morning? It was the Apostle Paul who said to us that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You see, folks, so often we want all the good things, but we're not willing to align ourselves with His purpose. But when I humble myself, when I honor God in my decision-making process as we spoke of last week, and I shift my trust to the fact that He is faithful with my future. It's then that we come and we align ourselves with His purpose for our lives. And then all things work together for us who love Him. Where are you at this morning? Maybe this morning you just need to come before God and just say, Lord, I've not honored you in these areas. I've not trusted you to be faithful with my future. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, this morning, I want to hand control over to you. I've no longer got my hands on the controls. I take them off 
I step back and I trust you. It doesn't mean I live an apathetic life. It doesn't mean that I just sit around and, and, and flip through the remote on TV. No, if you need work, folks, send out your, your, your CVs. Make sure that, you are, that you're getting those CVs out because here's the truth. These things don't happen through osmosis. We still need to put action to our faith. Amen. But at the same time, my faith isn't in faith. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in God. And this morning to just say, Lord, I, I give you control over all of these areas. Yeah, I'm going to bring my part. I'm going to do what I need to. I'm going to put action to my faith. But Lord, I'm going to trust you for the results. I'm going to trust you that you are faithful with my future. This morning, we, we're going to do communion together and really just seal this this morning. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. It's called Do It Again. It says, I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And I believe you can do it again. This morning, that may just be for you. So as we take time now and just go and fetch the elements, remembering the, the fact that within ourselves, we aren't in right standing with God, but through Jesus, He makes us in right standing with God. And that as we commit our lives to Him, as we honor Him, as we trust Him, that He comes and washes us clean and we stand clean before our loving Father. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you want to just seal this with communion this morning, we've got tables set up all around the building. Please go and serve yourselves. Get up maybe as families. The worship team is going to lead us and then I'll pray for us at the end. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that what we just sang is so true, Lord. Father God, that you are faithful, Lord. Lord, that you are faithful, Lord, and that you can be trusted with our future, Lord. Father God, I thank you this morning that as we could just come and, and seal this with communion, Lord. Lord, that we can, we can move from, from, from great thoughts and great ideas, Lord. Lord, and just come and, and commit ourselves to you afresh this morning for this year. And just say, Lord, will you come and be glorified through this life? Will you come and be honored through this life? Father God, may this life speak of the truth of who you are. May this life speak of the truth and the reality of your son, Jesus. Lord, in every decision that we make, may we honor you, Lord. Father God, may we hand control over to you. Not just in some areas of our lives, but in every area of our lives. Trusting you that you are faithful with our future, Lord. We love you this morning, Lord. And we thank you that we can do this with confidence this morning, Lord. Father God, we just pray over your people, Lord. We pray over us as a community, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you will 
this week, not just protect us, Lord. We thank you for your protection, Lord. But Father God, that you will also give us courage to live you out on a daily basis, Lord, in every sphere of our lives. And we commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust that you found this message valuable. For more information on who we are or how you can get involved, please check out our website at bikerschurchmidrand.co.za or connect with us through social media on Facebook or Instagram. Beyond that, have a great day.